Welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. Happy holidays. I hope everyone had a great Hanukkah, if that is your uh, holiday of observation. I hope everybody is preparing for all the other holidays coming up. Uh, For me, it's Christmas, and I'm excited. All the trees are up. All the decorations are up. If you follow me on Instagram as Phantom Troublemaker, you can see the old school decorations we put up all over the house upstairs. Uh, really cool stuff that we got from Sourpuss Clothing. I can't remember the web address, but they're they're great. If, if you know them, you know they're great. If you don't know them, you should go check them out. They have great sales all the time, and they carry all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, so here's the deal. The past three days have been really shitty for me. And I don't mean that figuratively, because here's what happened. 1 o'clock a.m. on Tuesday, I woke up, and there were problems. The problems were very apparent that they weren't going away, and that I would not be able to sit at work for 12 hours with these problems. Uh, So I called my boss at 2.30 after an hour and a half, which may not seem like like enough time to give it to go away but i know my body i know how my systems work and this was an issue so i called my boss i said i i hate this to call now but i can't come in today which also means i had to use 12 hours if if you read my review of the ghost show or i I guess my my post about my ghost post uh from earlier in the week uh here on on uh, needlessthingspodcast.com then you know that my paid time off is very very valuable because my vacation time and my sick time all come out of the same bank and now here at the end of the year i have some saved up to carry over into next year to give me some backup sick time if i need it Uh, i was not anticipating using any of it this year but that's what i had to do because there's no way i could go into work like that uh, and, and of course, when I made that call, you know, I was I was concerned that I'd w- I'd get up at like eight or nine or whatever, and uh, feel fine and and have used up twelve hours of my paid time off for no good reason. But there was no risk because at my job, you we don't get breaks. Uh, I've I've talked about this before, but like just because you have to go to the bathroom or eat or whatever. You can't just get up and go whenever you want. You have to wait until you have time to do that. And when you do have time to do that, it may be six minutes. Uh, you may not have 20, 15, whatever minutes to do whatever all you need to do. And if you do have that much time, then you've got to you know, do a bunch of stuff at once. you, you got to go to the bathroom, wash your dishes, make your food, do, do like multitask big time because you may not have that much time again. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's insane. They can't make you work 12 hours like that. Uh, yeah, they can't. So, because the alternative is longer shifts for the same pay. Uh, they, I mean, there's, I don't know how they get away with it, but they get away with it. And it's because none of us will protest because the only option would be even worse. Uh, so my point was I could not go into a 12-hour shift with no guaranteed breaks 
uh, there, there are times where I have missed lunches uh, for, because I just didn't have time for it. So you can imagine stomach virus plus that is not, I couldn't take that chance. Uh, so took the time off and it's a good damn thing that I did because for two straight days, let's just say I got to catch up on a whole lot of television about 20 minutes at a time. Uh, I went to bed last, well, really this morning. Uh, feeling like things might be okay today and thus far things are okay but I lost really I only lost two days or or a day and a half I guess because Tuesday I would have been at work and if I work that day's gone anyway and it's not like I get anything done other than getting paid for work which of course is very valuable Uh, but as far as accomplishing things other than work Wednesday was gone which really stinks Uh, because it put me a day behind in just, you know, the stuff you do. And then today, I couldn't really, it's not like I could go out and do any shopping or anything, because I wasn't positive this thing wouldn't strike again. So I still had to sit around the house, but at least I was able to come downstairs, do some cleaning, finish up uh, a few things that I needed to get done, put up some pictures, like kind of get back into the swing of things. And of course, now at 8 p.m., record the intro for the episode you're listening to right now because I completely forgot that I needed to put up the episode for this week because, like I said, uh, I was busy. Very, very busy and uh, pretty exhausted at this point because that was a whole lot of uh, business that I carried out over the past two days. Uh, So anyway, I hope your week has gone better than my week has. Uh, I know everybody's working long hours now. I know everybody is, uh, you know, this is the tough spot. We're in the middle of December. We're we're actually in, what, we're in the 12 days of Christmas now. So it's like we've been having fun for a while and now we're kind of like it's the middle you you sag a little bit especially if you've had anything like that happen to you but i'm I'm ready to get back into the swing of things i've got an exciting wwe pay-per-view to watch sunday night uh, i've got lots of, next week is insane and i've got to mention f cancer the christmas edition although it's not f or fudge as deadpool 2 would have you believe uh, on facebook you can find the facebook event it is Friday, December 21st, 2018 at 8 p.m. at the Sweetwater Bar and Grill in Duluth. Join the Atlanta Bearded Sinners as we say F Cancer. Nick Zakaria, Demon Bolt, Learning to Count, and the Casket Creatures will be performing as we show that Atlanta gives a damn. Vendors, raffles, food, drinks, and live music. All proceeds go direct to the cause. Now, that's important, and that's why I wanted to get involved with this thing in the first place was all the money they take at the door, all the money they take from the raffle, uh, that is all going straight to uh, Fudge Cancer. Uh, like I said, it's Deadpool, would have you believe. Uh, or dead, PG-13 Deadpool, would have you believe. Uh, this is not going into anybody's pocket. This is a bunch of good people who are doing this because they believe in this cause, they believe in this specific charity. Uh, so when you go, know that every dollar you spend at the door on the raffle will go to the right place. Nobody's lining their pockets on this one. This is going to be an incredible show. Lots of our friends are there, and it's going to be a great time. So get out and have some rock and roll fun for a great, great cause. 
Uh, what else have we got going on? I don't know. I, I, I'm exhausted, you guys. I, I feel like I'm always saying that in these intros, but there's always something going on. Uh, it seems like every week there there is a new hurdle to overcome, uh, a new challenge to meet head on. And this week it, it was something really, really unexpected. And uh, but I'm I'm back in action now. This weekend I'll be at work, but I'll be getting stuff done. I've got reviews to write. I've got stuff to to get in the can for my week off which by the way next week i'll be using a little bit more of my pto to take a lovely week off to celebrate christmas as much as i possibly can with family and friends so as horrible as my christmas week schedule is uh, at least i do have a week prior to that to to have as much fun as i possibly can so i hope you guys are going to do the same thing and now it's time for this week's episode speaking of having as much fun as you possibly can one of my inspirations for starting needless things back in the day the actual website needless things uh was a gentleman named adam paulus who runs 16bit.com and galactichunter.com as well as a couple other sites here and there but uh, 16bit.com was the one that really inspired me and really made me want to talk about toys online. And it's an absolute honor to have Adam on the show. It's something I've wanted to do for a while. And it was just one of those things that I kind of had to build up to because he's uh, this guy has been online since the 90s. He's one of the, I don't know that I know anyone who was online before he was. Uh, so it, to me, this is a huge deal. I'm very excited that he came on the show. I'm very hopeful that we'll have future episodes where we can focus on different aspects of toy collecting. But today's episode, for me anyway, is very is attached to Christmas in a very special way because Star Wars is a Christmas thing, uh, very much so. From my earliest Christmas memories, there were Star Wars toys, and for the past you know 40 years there have been or i guess 39 years technically but uh there have been star wars things involved in christmas in some way whether it was getting toys from santa whether it was ornaments uh whether it was years ago my mom got me this really neat commemorative stamp set like there's always some and it's usually from my mom some little aspect of christmas has a star wars flavor and of course the last few years having movies released at christmas time which i really i really miss that we're not getting one this year but at the same time uh, i sat down and watched solo the other day still love that movie matter of fact i liked it even more uh on this viewing and now that toys are really like i feel like solo has had some of the best toys we've gotten lately so i'm kind of back into that as well but uh, you know we we don't go to the theater for it this year but star wars can be experienced uh in so many different ways that for me that that it's been an integral part of my christmas season for so long uh it always will be and that includes next week's needless commentary Uh, which I can't remember if I've said exactly what it is or not. I know that I've said it's Star Wars themed, and I know that I've said it's going to give you guys your Star Wars holiday fix that you need oh so badly. Uh, But 
it's a good one. Our pal Chad's going to be in town. We're going to sit down and we're going to watch something awesome. And I'm not talking about the holiday special. I don't know that I could ever make myself watch that again. But anyway, now it's time to talk Star Wars toys with our new friend Adam Paulus from 16bit.com and galactichunter.com. It's a great conversation. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. Big holiday season in 2018, and we've got a special guest on the Needless Things podcast today, somebody who actually unknowingly had a hand in the start of Needless Things years and years ago, and I'm very excited to be talking to Mr. Adam Paulus. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me this morning, uh, afternoon, or whenever it is that you people out there are listening to this. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a cross-country conversation going on, which is why uh, we love Skype and we hate Skype. It's the uh, glue that holds together the gears of our podcasts. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, so you have been writing about Star Wars for how long now? Uh, the first official thing was August 95. <laughs> that's wild. Oh my yeah, I was gosh. in high school. Uh, <laughs> I graduated in 94 and probably did, because you know, we, we came up right as computers were st- starting to become part of the daily life like i didn't i in school we had like oregon trail but we really didn't have practical usage of this is going to be a a daily part of your life while no they definitely uh they forecast the fact that you needed to know what a computer was and be familiar with keyboards and stuff but absolutely no idea how it was going to do anything they just i'm just still amazed they were smart enough to say okay, this is going to be something, so just sit them down in cross-country USA, and they'll figure it out when they're 20. Right, yeah, exactly. But you, you uh, I mean, you're an early early adopter. If you were getting online in 95, what, how, no, how I was, did... No, <laughs> I was online in 90, 91. Oh, my gosh, what? Yeah, Prodigy and all that stuff. My dad would bring home a modem uh, on the old Macintoshes, and you'd just be like, here, figure this out. And I would go online and find toy communities online, and... 1990, 1991, uh, see people arguing about Street Fighter 2 and fake Final Fantasy 2 uh, walkthroughs, <laughs> and uh, you couldn't even sell toys on Prodigy officially, so the slang evolved to um, selling uh, toys was trading for Yoda skins because it was green and it was like a flat skin thing, so oh there was a lot of weirdness. Gosh, wow, that's wild. So so this just you on your own developed this interest in in uh computing and and being online well basically uh when i was two my dad brought home an apple two plus and just said here figure this out and just i don't know what i was doing so i was just playing games and stuff and then when he would go on business trips he'd bring home his black and white macintosh from work you know which is a thousand dollar two thousand dollar machine in 1984 and said here play with this so that's what i would do and you know which is insane if you think about it you know taking your big computer home from work and just giving it to your idiot kid <laughs> that's what he would do and um and we finally got a mac of our own and then we got a modem and every now and again he just dropped like a, here's an html book i'm like what am i supposed to do with this he's like i don't know so 
<laughs> so I would just figure it out and be like, okay, you know, in uh, in '95 I started writing about toys. Uh, actually, it was the day he got laid off of work uh, because we had nothing to do, and there was a rumor going around that you could mail away for a Han Solo stormtrooper figure from Fruit Loops, which is completely insane to hear out of nowhere when there was no new Star Wars figures in stores for years, and Fruit Loop cereal is it sounds like a joke. But uh, we had to go grocery shopping, and I found it, and that was the day I started the very first Star Wars newsletter that I wrote because, like, well, i got to tell other people because no one's going to believe me until I say it 50 times. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I'm, I was thinking back as you were – uh, I think the first computer we had in the house, or, or that I had access to because my dad used one for business, but I, I was not allowed near that one. Uh, we had – it was like – a cassette tape type thing <laughs> that I believe plugged into the television. And I, I don't think I ever got it to work or do anything else. And then later on I was playing like King's quest and space quest and the Sierra games. Those are great. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're some of my favorites. I was supposed to be playing math blaster, but who wants to play math blaster? <laughs> exactly. You got to see how many points you can get out of whatever it was. 738. Uh, when you're fighting the uh, software pirates of scum saw. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I was playing around with one earlier than than I was thinking about, but as far as getting online, uh, I don't think I even had. Any, as a matter of fact, as of two thousand one, I know I did not even have an email address of my own because huh. I met Bruce Campbell uh, in September of that year, and he. I have a tattoo of him on my leg from Army of Dark, not just a random tattoo of Bruce Campbell. It's the Army of Darkness movie poster. Uh, and he asked me to email him a picture because I had him sign the tattoo and with the intent of getting that tattooed on, which I did. Uh, and he asked me to email it to him and gave me his email address. And I was too embarrassed to tell him that I did not actually have an email address. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was rectified years later. But, yeah, so it was, two, it was 2001. I wasn't even regularly online then. So, oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was a, I was a very late adopter. Uh, but now I've figured out how to run a website and a well, barely figured out how to run a website and a podcast and all that kind of stuff. But uh, what I wanted to start talking about today, since since uh, this is what got you writing, was Star Wars and uh, you know a little little bit about the vintage, a little bit about how things have evolved over the years. But really, I just want to see see where we end up. Uh, but since this is this will this will be up in December. So it is ostensibly a holiday episode. Uh, So I'm going to start, and and we'll see where this takes you, with a Christmas, one of my earliest Christmas memories, and that was of being at my grandparents' house in North Carolina, going out Christmas morning and seeing under the Christmas tree uh, set up as though it were like a box back or a commercial or something, the Millennium Falcon, uh, with Han and Chewie in there, uh, surrounded by stormtroopers and Bespin, uh, the the blue Bespin guards, with Lando and a twin pod cloud car, and this this amazing setup that Santa had left under the tree. And it was, I've got dated pictures, I actually do have pictures of this, they're dated pictures. I want to say it was 80, because um, I think that's when the Empire Toys would have been out by December of 80, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, 
that, but that walking out and seeing that, and at the time I was already collecting the Star Wars toys because they they'd been out for a couple of years at that point, but that to me, uh, I never quite saw a setup from Santa like that again. Uh, but the fact that it was Star Wars, and the fact that, and one of the things I always talk about when we're talking about Star Wars back in the day is when we were kids, we didn't have access to the movies. That's right. It was uh, all out of our imagination. Right. I mean, the ancillary merchandise is what kept Star Wars going in a way that uh, today you don't have to worry about as much because the streaming content, the YouTube, the clips, someone's going to post a takedown of it. Any way you want to interact with Star Wars, it exists. But in the uh, 80s, if you wanted it, maybe you'd see it on, what was it, CBS in 1984. You'd rent a VHS tape. Or you'd have to deal with trading cards, comic books, toys, and uh, maybe the Atari games. And even then, it was, uh, and I would say it was, even when Jedi came out, I don't think VHS was quite the medium yet. No, 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 no. That it would become. So, I mean, it was years before it was even really practical to own like it was past the toy line before it was even practical to own the VHS just in the average out household. And own is an interesting choice of words because I mean all of us had the uh, fancy uh, VHS store like we had Adventureland Video and they had all the cassettes behind a glass countertop and a guy had to give it to you. You couldn't actually buy them because consumer level VHS tapes weren't really a thing until like 1990. I think Home Alone was the first one I remember being like under 90 bucks because you wouldn't go to Target and see a big VHS section. They would just not have that. Uh, you wanted to see a movie, uh, you had to do the Columbia House VHS Club or something, uh, or you have to buy, what, five with nothing more to buy ever or whatever it was. Yeah, and, right, uh, right. And, but until, like, the 1990 or so, um, consumer-level VHS tapes weren't a thing. So you went to Adventureland, you got a second VCR, and you copied it. And that's just the way it was, because otherwise you couldn't have it. Yeah, and that's I actually remember uh, the very first VHS tapes we owned, they weren't... They weren't still up in the like eighty to a hundred dollar range, yeah. But they also weren't down to the twenty dollar range. I, I want to say they were maybe like forty five, fifty bucks, something like that. Like they were starting to creep down to retail level. Uh, oh, you know what? I know what year it was because it was the long road trip. It was nineteen eighty seven, mm -hmm. uh, and we were going to live in Houston, Texas, for about three months. And my dad. A very very clever guy rigged up the camcorder the vhs camcorder that we owned uh to a little tv in the gmc van that we owned and oh. he built a console that sat between the two captain's chairs in the front of the van and put this little tv uh and it had a little nook for the camcorder to sit in as well so that my sister and I could watch movies on this long trip to Houston, Texas. And we went to, I want to say it was Blockbuster, but I don't feel like Blockbuster would have been, well, yeah, I guess in 87, right? Yeah, it's about right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's about when that started really taking off and they started uh, gobbling up all the competition. Yes, yeah, that's right. So, okay, so we went to Blockbuster, and we were each, each member of the family was allowed to purchase one video. Uh, I bought the Looney Tunes movie. My dad bought Kelly's Heroes. Oh. And I cannot remember what my sister and my mom bought, but we, we had four movies to watch on the trip 
uh, from Atlanta to Houston, Texas on his, on this incredible little, you know, very much predating video screens being built into headrests. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's always the amazing thing to see what kind of craziness your dads could come up with in the 80s because uh, it's not like today where you can just go to Walmart and buy a TV that's also a computer screen, it's also a game console screen and everything else. You had to find this wacky uh, monitor for your computer it's only black and green so when your tv explodes then you have to rig that up and watch that for a couple of weeks and everything you see is pink (laughs) that's exactly right oh man so uh yeah so we were we had to use our and i'm not saying this is any better or worse it's just at different times we had to use our imaginations to imagine what these little figures of han and leia and lando and everyone else were doing uh what what is what is one of your earliest star wars memories of of playing with the toys or, or even just the movies uh my first memory was uh we went to lionel play world to get the uh, wampa figure uh and because i loved creatures and uh we came home from there and on the trunk in my bedroom was a c-3po and a chewbacca so that was where it all started those three and uh every now and again you get a chance to get another one but it was my parents weren't exactly big on me having toys at all uh, in any big way. It was birthday, Christmas, that's it. So there wasn't a lot of that growing up. So it was a miracle, like when you were at Long's Drugs and you found a wicket for the uh, insane sum of four ninety nine, because figures were 2 or $3 everywhere else. But, sure, you know, sure. You, you beg and you plead and you get your wicket figure. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that. I didn't have a lot of vehicles growing up. Uh, my parents got me the Ewok Village because my mom liked it. That's how a lot of the toys worked. If she liked something, then got in the house, even if I didn't necessarily want it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and that's how it kind of steamrolled. But by 85, 86, she wanted to go to antique shows. And at antique shows, Star Wars were garbage. So I could go there and get something for 50 cents or a dollar. And um, I've been going to collectible toy shows quite a bit. And by 1990, I had... Uh, every single one of the vintage figures loose because you, tenacity and uh, nothing better to do you know eventually you'll find that uh, ten dollar pop-up lightsaber archer d2 and a power of the force card and rip it open because you wanted one and uh, two dollar size froms and stuff that you know just people didn't give a crap until uh, the zon books really started to come out yeah 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 the zon but, books kicked uh well i won't say they kicked interest back off because i i was fortunate in that my my little group of friends from the late 80s to the early 90s which, which at the time seemed like an eternity but now looking back was probably like two or three years yeah <laughs> uh we're, we're all super nerdy we were all really into star wars so for us we, we were always talking about it thinking about it there was no to me the lull that happened for a lot of people uh like you with continuing to collect kind of kind of wasn't there and and i feel fortunate for that yeah yeah because uh, when everyone else had their lull i mean all my friends older brothers were selling their stuff and i'm like how much you want for your bubba fat and they're like a dollar i'm like what else you got (laughs) (laughs) oh that's amazing and see i'm envious of that because i did the lull i did go through is that at one point i did because i i tend to say uh that i've been collecting toys since i was born but i do always have to sort of make the the uh correction that there were a few years where i put everything away uh now i never you know started playing football or anything like that but kind of just stuck to comics and other kinds of media and didn't really mess with toys for a few years until uh 95 when star wars came back okay that's that's funny because uh yeah i was always in it when star wars 
well, I was quote unquote done with it when the vintage line had pretty much completed everything I was going to buy. I uh, still went to the toy stores and looked at stuff. So I'd buy a Batman Returns figure here and there. Not not a lot, just a couple from each one. Uh, and then the Micro Machines kicked things off in a big way. Uh, Playmate Star Trek line was really fun to follow for a little while. Um, but I started writing letters to toy companies. And the amazing thing is they write back, especially back then. So like when you're a little kid and you don't have that much money and you're complaining that the Micro Machines 10-pack came out with nine vehicles you have and one you don't. It's like, dear Mr. Goldman and Galoob, what's going on here? I eventually was writing letters to the CEO of Galoob, and he'd send me stuff. I'd get stuff early every now and again, and he was the nicest guy. And um, that's kind of what kicked off the newsletter idea was just like, hey, they're giving me like you know uh, computer printouts of upcoming products. I can tell people what these are. And the same thing happened with Star Trek, and uh, like there were Prodigy posts where I would go on about that stuff. And like you said, it's a different era. Um, Getting and sharing information about toys has always been really, really tough. And I always wanted people to know about everything coming out so they could get what they want, whatever that may be. And uh, it, it was nice during those little lull periods because you could kind of sneak around, too. And people weren't as protective about sharing information. No one cared. Yeah. yeah. Uh, non-disclosure agreement wasn't a word. Unlike today when you go to a uh, – my day job is in the toy industry and they get us on your life away just to see what's coming out in the next 18 months. Yeah, that well, and you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, um, 95 really wasn't my entry back into toys. My my crusty old brain is kind of kicking into gear now because uh, I, I'm thinking about my progression. Which which actually I, this this is an interesting thing too because you've you I mean you've been Star Wars from the start. Yeah. Um, obviously, there've been other things here and there. And in thinking about it, what, what what made me think of this is when you said that your mom, when your mom liked something, it might end up at home, whether you were interested or not. And my transition was from Star Wars to GI Joe because my dad was in the military. Oh. So same kind of thing. My dad was way into GI Joe, especially in the start when the designs were much more based in reality. Uh, he'd get really excited and bring stuff home like, hey, this is a, you know, th- this is based on this kind of plane, this kind of, you know, we th- we have these kinds of Jeeps. This tank is a thing. It's changed here, here, and here. Like, it, it, was, a, it was a bonding point for us, and it really, you know, not only did the improved articulation and interaction with some of the accessories and vehicles and stuff really get to me a lot, but that that bonding with my dad i was like well i can basically have any gi joe thing that i want so maybe this is my new toy line <laughs> uh and <laughs> yeah. then from there the, the 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 weirdest transition for me was as gi joe started to get a little more uh i won't say more science fictiony which it did but that that isn't really a turnoff for me but it just it it got beyond what i thought of as gi joe uh, just with some of the designs and 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 some of the things, uh, so I went to Mutant Turtles, which apparently was easily uh, more easily acceptable for me than Pink GI yeah. Joe planes. <laughs> no, I remember when the Ninja Turtles toys came out, and like GI Joe wasn't something that was really big on my radar as a kid. Eventually, uh, cousins would give me. Uh, I got a hydrofoil for a Christmas present. I just looked at it. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't have any GI Joe figures, <laughs> so. Uh, I got a couple here and there, and um, yeah, I kind of regret trading away my Cobra Bug. I really like that toy, but I got a Vectrex for it, and the Vectrex is worth a little bit more than a Cobra Bug sometimes. Well, so it's and, and that's funny because the Bug is one of the ones initially that I was just like, you know what, this is too much. But now looking back, I absolutely love that design. It's fantastic. 
it's a marvelous toy just seeing what it does because it has what the toy designers refer to as finger food, which is you got a toy that's too big, so you got to take off these little things to play with. Yes, so you had the yes. two hydrofoils and you had the detachable submarine pod and all this onboard storage. I mean, it's just a, a it's fantastic design. But yeah, when you look at it, you're like, what is this? <laughs> but but yeah, then that's uh, you know at this point. No, you know, we, my brain looks at toys differently now than it did when I was a kid. And as much as I loved having the little panels and everything, uh, I didn't fully appreciate them then because I didn't understand, like, that cost a lot of money <laughs> to <laughs> integrate all of that stuff into a design that could have just been a big chunk of plastic, which yeah, in this day and age yeah. is what we would get. Right. I mean, uh, that's one of the things that's always kind of interesting to me when you talk to uh, collectors who sometimes don't open their toys and they make a big fuss over articulation it's like okay well then you pay twenty dollars for a box and the fact that that has a wrist joints really just doesn't matter um but you know when you're dealing with kids you have to use your imagination and sometimes uh you have to pretend spider-man can crouch or hang upside down but other times he can and is it worth paying for it's something we've been debating a lot in the uh the biz and funko keeps showing everybody that no articulation doesn't necessarily matter and that seems to be why a lot of people argue about, like, do you, is Funko acceptable or not? Which I find to be ridiculous, because uh, they're doing very well, and they're really I, good stuff. Yeah, right, right. And actually, we'll we'll get into that articulation uh, in just a bit here, because as we talk about the Star Wars line more. Um, but yeah, I realized I went from Ninja Turtles, and then from there, uh, we got a couple of Batman figures mm-hmm. when the movie came out uh not exactly movie accurate but they're batman figures uh and then toy biz's x-men line that was a good one which now that i'm thinking about it would have carried me through to like i'm wondering at what point because there was a point where i didn't have shelves up everything was boxed in my parents attic uh but it i mean now that i'm thinking about it it might have been a year or two and that was it because I would have still been heavily into Toy Biz's X-Men line because X-Men was, when I when I uh, had money to buy comics, one of the first ones I bought was Uncanny X-Men uh, and then the X-Men cartoon coming out and being so closely you know, based on those Chris Claremont stories w- was really appealing to me. So even though I was getting older, getting into high school and all that, I was still buying stuff. So I guess maybe I had I had like a year or so where I wasn't really buying much now that I'm thinking about it. That's that's very interesting because it seems like there was a long stretch, but I guess there wasn't. When you're a kid, a couple of months may as well be an eternity. I mean, what you did one summer, if it was affecting enough, especially if you're under 10, uh, it may as well have been five years. Yeah, and that, well, and talking about going to Houston for the three months, we were there for a summer for three months. Uh, and it, But it's looking back, it feels like we spent a year there, but we didn't. It was just... When you're a kid, like you said, that time just stretches out. It seems like so much more than it is. Whereas, whereas now, as an adult, three months is gone before I even know what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I've been—I uh, moved back uh, to where I live now in 2010, and I've basically been working out of this basement since 2011. It's just like, where the heck did the last seven years go? I haven't really <laughs> moved around that much. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And honestly, the world of pop culture has had a lot of changes but not that many i mean we've been still doing the same marvel stuff and star wars never really goes away transformers are still here and eh, it's not as uh, chaotic as it was in the 80s so let's talk a little bit about uh some aspects of the star wars toy line we we've discussed the original toys a, a little bit just in that they were part of our lives uh i 
played hard, made made stories up, did whatever I did. Uh, I'm I, looking back as I was thinking about all of this stuff, uh, again, dusting the brain off because I knew we were going to be talking. I th- I'm pretty sure my favorite figure from the original line, the one that I used in every story I told every time I played, was Boba Fett. Hmm. Uh, you know, with that character is so amazing, not because of anything he ever did in the movies, not even because of anything from the expanded universe, which, which I'm one of the ones that dearly loves the old, uh, or I guess legends as it's called now, uh, loves the expanded universe. But as a kid, obviously that hadn't even happened yet. I just loved that figure. I loved his little oddly placed colored panels. Uh, I loved that he looked so different from anything else in the line and I don't know what it was about that design but uh, but uh he was he was one of the guys now he was a bad guy to me like there were there were no gray areas uh he he was a bad guy but he kind of operated outside of uh the empire or the alliance uh, did you have like one figure that was sort of always around always part of what you were doing no, I don't really think so. I mean, I didn't have that many when I was a kid because uh, the line kind of up and died when I was pretty young. And uh, I maybe only had uh, 20, 30 figures when I was before the era where I had to start going to garage sales and flea markets. Um, but yeah, I really liked my Tauntaun. The Hoth stuff was neat because I grew up in Arizona. Snow is completely foreign to me. So, <laughs> you know, it's just like saying you have a planet made of crystals or. Uh, you know, a magical floating islands in the sky. It's like, what's all this white stuff? I'd never seen anything like that. So I had a lot of Hoff stuff. Um, not an ADAP, but I had a Snowspeeder, a Wampa, a Tauntaun, uh, Luke. Eventually I got a Han from a flea market. And uh, yeah, I liked all that stuff a lot, but there wasn't a lot of room for conflict because I had Darth Vader, a Stormtrooper, a Biker Scout, um, a couple of miscellaneous aliens from Return of the Jedi. I mean, I had a lot of Jabba's goons, but no Jabba. It was kind of ramshackle. And with all those toy catalogs, you spend a lot of time thinking about what you don't have. And, uh, sure, sure. That's, it's not healthy, but that's what happens. Um, and that's what got me going around looking for other stuff, because I didn't have enough to actually put together a whole scene. Like, you have Han and Chewie, but no Falcon. I had a land speeder, and I love the land speeder. And I remember uh, being over the moon when I finally got my original outfit, Luke, Leia, and Han. And that was like four or five at the time. So in... In building your collection, and I guess looking back at that original vintage line now, is there is there a, a particular figure that, maybe not because of the character or even the figure design, but just uh, the process of getting it that, that kind of stands out to you? I'm still waiting on Vlix. Uh, yeah, right, yes. we got to <laughs> talk about Vlix, absolutely. I tell, let's Give us the, the Vlix pitch. So the Vlix pitch, uh, basically when I was a little kid, I was going around to all these garage sales and flea markets, and I met this one dealer who actually owns a store up the street from where my wife's parents live now, um, and he had these figures from Brazil, and they were new then because they came out in 87 and it was 1989, and it was just amazing to think that they were still producing Star Wars toys somewhere in the world, and he goes, well, the R2 and 3PO are a little different if you want them, and I, being an idiot, I didn't buy them, they were like 25, 35 bucks each, and that's a lot of money when you're 10, uh, but you flip them over, and you look at the back, and I saw Vlix. And it's just like, they didn't make a figure of that guy. What's going on here? And he's like, I don't know. I've never seen one. And I'm like, did they make him? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, i got to find out if this thing exists. And that's what kicked off the quest for the actual toy. Because uh, later they released uh, 
uh, space adventure collectible books, and they would show black and white photos of the unproduced Ewoks and Droids cartoon figures. So it's like, okay, so there's really prototypes at least. And uh, I didn't know for sure whether or not Blix got made until like the mid to late 90s. And every time I find him, it's like, okay, how much is he? It's like, okay, in a couple of years, I can save up that much money. And then they add a zero, and yeah, it just keeps yeah. happening. Now, the closest thing I ever got was this year. Uh, I don't know if you talk about Glios much on the show. I haven't caught up with your entire backlog yet. We've uh, we have focused on Outer Spacemen a few times. Yes, uh, to that one. But we haven't, as a whole, we haven't talked a whole lot about it. So, well, so really... if you want if you want to lay down <laughs> what the the concept is for sure. the listeners. Well, this is basically there's an indie toy line made by this guy Matt Doty, and he does a really great job. And right around the time he launched, he found me at Comic Con and talked to me a little bit because he read my stuff too. And uh, we've been shooting back and forth a couple of years i buy a lot of his figures and earlier this year i wrote the 2000th figure of the day at one of my sites and i said hey i want to review uh something of yours like a day or a week early if i could because he usually announces things the day they're released and he's like hey how about we collaborate on something so he made his signature character faden in vlix colors and it's on my desk right now i'm holding it in my hand it's one of my favorite things because it's it might be the closest thing there ever will be to a mass-produced vlix and vlix was this space gangster from the droids cartoons but it made a big impression on me because we taped the droids cartoons off a of TV, and I thought Vlix was really cool. Um, but I can't have one, and every time I go to Hasbro, I ask. When I go to talk to General Giant about their Jumbo Kenner line in my meetings with them, I go, so when are you doing Vlix? I mean, it, <laughs> it's something that comes up a lot, and I've been full-time toy professional since 2005. Almost no one knows what I'm talking about. But uh, they're amused that it matters to me so much, they just don't seem to want to make it yet. And I've pitched it for exclusives, I've asked for all kinds of things. Uh, it doesn't exist yet, but that's sort of what I've been going after. The longest one that I actually got was probably Yak Face, because uh, I'd spent a couple of years tracking him down, and I got him for Christmas in 1990. Uh, so to uh, to specify a little bit, for, to give the listeners a little bit of context, uh, when you talk about pitching him as an exclusive or whatnot, without getting too toy industry heavy, you have been involved with some exclusives that have come from Hasbro, though. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say I've probably got somewhere between 50 and 100 figures I've had some involvement in. So just a couple. Just a couple. <laughs> uh, but but is, as far as that goes, is it is it is it a matter of... Uh, it's that time of year we you know there's a set uh, possibility or what are some ideas like how, how does that pitch work it changes uh depending on who's in charge and what hasbro feels at the time because their policies change around a lot and uh part of their internal management is really interesting and they're very interested in cross-training and uh moving people around so if most people, not the big executives, but a lot of people in Hasbro, every three years are moved to a new team, a new department, or a new position. So nobody gets stagnant, but you also lose some of that uh, cultural memory. Some people, like the engineers, are there for a really long time, but uh, sales and marketing people who do the line planning get moved all the time. Like one of the big guys on Star Wars just got moved to Hasbro Games. And uh, remember that about this time next year. Um, right, right. Uh, no, just saying, keep that in mind. I'm alluding to something awesome. Okay. But I can't tell you what it is. Okay. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, stuff gets moved around a lot. And when you want an exclusive, typically how it works is they go, hey, do you want this exclusive? And they've already developed it. And you have to say yes or no. And sometimes it's a great item and you want it exactly as is. And there are other times where you look at it and you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe we could change this or change that. And most of the time that doesn't happen but i'm kind of annoying and i know what i uh <laughs> think i want and they're very accommodating for my eccentricities um 
like there was going to be, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here. Uh, we did a clone trooper box set back in, no wait, that was a different one. Uh, no, this one too. There was a clone trooper box set that was released in 2005 and it came with this poster and it has these, uh, the clone trooper molds were the not super articulated versions. That was what the toy was supposed to be. But I saw it and I'm like, I really want the super articulated ones. And they're like, well, we're going to use these molds. I'm like, that's great. I really want the super articulated ones. <laughs> so I just kept going and going and I go, and I also want deco variants. I want some damage and I want some non-damage and I want all the uh, rank markings and Ended up working out that we changed it from eight figures to 16 different figures with all the deco variants. And uh, I don't think anyone really knows that the poster was the original intent. But uh, I, I knew, because I do all the Q&A columns and everything else, uh, I'm also a lot more public than a lot of people involved in a lot of the toys. Sure. So they're going to fire at me and be angry at me if I don't get them the perfect thing. And sometimes you can't do it. And uh, sometimes the tooling's just not available, or it can't cost out, or whatever. So it's always a collaboration, but Typically, Hasbro pitches us a great idea, and we take it. Like the uh, we had a Mandalorian and clone set a couple of years ago. I've got it, uh, and it's incredible. Yeah, I mean that was mostly Hasbro. I think I made like two little comments because one guy originally looked a little too much like Jango Fett, and another guy in a very very early piece of concept art had a uh, Jedi lightsaber symbol on the chest, which I guess would be a lot more interesting. But it's kind of counter to how the characters usually behave. You know, thinking back on it, it's like yeah, Jedi Mandalorian. What's the story there? But uh, it didn't happen for whatever reason, and I, I wasn't too keen on it myself. But um, they come up with spectacular ideas. And uh, But the droids, that was me. Because uh, <laughs> I wanted robots. Yes, yeah, and, and I love, well, not only the droid set, but the fact that the shape, the like, because to me, it, it's funny. Uh, I get very into packaging. Yeah. And the box that that droid set is in, you're talking about the, the Astromax set? Well, there's been a few. There were two in 2006, and then there was the one about two years ago? Yeah, yeah. It was in a droid-shaped box. That's the one I'm thinking of, that yeah. as soon as you see it, uh, I open just about everything, uh, mm-hmm. unless it's uh, an item that I don't really have a spot for on my shelves and has really nice packaging, and I just think to myself, oh, I, I kind of like to keep this in the box, or some of the stuff that's coming from Super 7 lately that just has gorgeous card art. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that I feel like I, I have to keep this up. Uh, but for the most part, I open everything. But I, I have a very critical eye for packaging. For, for and, and I think part of that has come uh, from reading your stuff and seeing comments like, there's a lot of wasted space in this box. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, having an eye for how are they using the space? How, how are they using the amount of material that they use to package this one little toy. Like I I do like to look at that stuff, but also just the aesthetics as far as when you're walking down a toy aisle, how much does this catch your eye? Uh, Which, which is why, you know, from time to time lines have to change up their look because when you've seen the same uh, white clone helmet shaped card for two years now, you need to see something different to know that it's a, it's a new Star Wars toy that needs to grab your eye. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I, you know, we always have arguments about stuff like this in, in the biz, and, uh, you know, it is what it is, but, like, one of the things that irks me the most is uh, a lot of the movies lately don't even put the movie name on the box, and that just drives me absolutely batty because I don't think the customer understands when a figure might be coming from a cartoon, a video game, or whatever without some sort of lead and that's not a knock on the consumer it's just because there's so much stuff coming out there and unless you're like you or me uh you don't necessarily know if a character is from rebels or solo or resistance or something else well and and thanks to toy collecting being the community that it's been since 
Uh, for me personally, when I look back, I would say Toy Fair Magazine is probably the point where I started to really become aware more that it was a, a big thing. Mm. Uh, that there was a, a huge community of people out there. Now, again, I had a few friends uh, in the late 90s that were into collecting. And, and again, Star Wars in 95 is probably the thing that started... Okay, I I apologize. My brain once again is kicking into gear. So in 95, when Star Wars returned, we had our bulky, beefy sculpts that at the time were very exciting because they were new Star Wars figures. Uh, I eventually got to the point where I didn't care for them because the line... Was there sort of a mini relaunch at one point where they started using a little more realistic sculpts and whatnot? Not really. Uh, the beefy style was what originally they decided the industry wanted back then. Uh, that was very intentional. But as time went on, collectors are vocal and the internet is real. And Hasbro actually, well, Kenner then, reached out to fans. I actually got contacted by uh, then an intern at Kenner uh, to talk about a lot of this stuff. And it was kind of amazing. It's just like, wow, they're talking to me. I can't imagine why. And um, by, uh, well, it depends on when you look at it. But by the end of 97, a lot of the guys were a little bit slimmer. But uh, the proportions, I'd say, were almost completely realistic by early 98. And they, they always improved, but you didn't necessarily have um, Hildebrandt-style muscles or, uh, you know, the, the big uh, beefy parts. Then. And it, there really were a lot of changes as time went on, but you'd also see things like uh, Leia's height change. She's a little too tall early on, and now she's pretty short, but Carrie Fisher was pretty short, too. That's see, and that's what I'm thinking is is when I started to have sort of a little group of collector friends was when they they kind of completed the transition over to a, a more realistic style, and that the the even if the face sculpts didn't necessarily still look like anyone, the the proportions and everything were more human and less Conan. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it was funny because nobody really seemed to stop buying the figures even though they detested them and started ridiculous rumors like there were uh, if you were on Usenet back then there were a lot of people saying oh well the Princess Leia figure got recalled because she looks like a monkey it's like <laughs> well that's not true that's not how toy recalls work for one thing oh C-3PO got recalled because of lead paint well that's not true well the speeder bike got recalled because of lead paint. no that's not true the Consumer Product Safety Commission would issue an alert that the toy had lead paint it would be on the news it would you know it's, it's ridiculous but uh it, it's just it's funny because uh, Jurassic Park now is like Star Wars was 20 years ago. There's a lot of rumors and hearsay, and uh, the people are partially informed. And there's a lot of stuff we know, and there's a lot of stuff we don't know. And uh, as fans, we fill in the blanks with whatever enters our heads. And uh, sometimes we're right, and sometimes we're not. I, you know, that's an interesting little sideline to take because that Jurassic Park line has absolutely blown me away. Uh I never imagined that Jurassic Park would be, and, and I'm buying all this stuff. I, it, it's funny. Uh, I am ostensibly buying the Jurassic Park toys for my son. But sure. <laughs> I am buying them because they are incredible toys. I never would have imagined that in 2018, the my favorite line of the year would be Jurassic Park and that it would be coming from Mattel. I don't really understand what happened there because I... Again, I'm in the business, and I saw the original uh, pitch for Jurassic. I'm looking at this, and I'm just sitting here being like, you can't possibly be putting all this stuff out. This is not what you guys do, but I love it, and I hope it all makes it to the store. 
Uh, I just found my Malcolm this week at Target. I was really excited. But the dinosaurs are really cool. They're really detailed. Some of them have really awful legs. But other than that, I think they're some of the best things I've bought in years. Well, that's and I think that's what was so amazing to me is that and and, and look, I love all toy companies. Uh, they all have their great moments. They all have their flaws. Uh, Mattel of late, especially with kid oriented lines, has seen less success than I would like. Imagine X is the only area where they consistently delight I, me, yes, but it's yes. meant for preschoolers, and I'm not a preschooler. <laughs> uh, like, oh, I found out they did the uh, Adventure People uh, Alpha Star Alien. Again, it's on my desk. I'm holding it right now. I just yes. went nuts because this is something I got some of the test shots of the original one. I have, I had to rebuy that because my parents had me sell it at a garage sale, so I bought a mitten box one in college instead of dating. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's where I go with this kind of stuff. I mean, you want something fun to play with, and you want kids to be interested. And Hot Wheels are going to do great, and Barbie's doing what Barbie does. But the male action toy market is really in a world of hurt because uh, boys age 4 to 11 want screens. And yeah, yeah, there yeah. are exceptions, but typically uh, a lot more boys are kind of being a little bit closer to who we are. Like You might get a toy as a souvenir when you see a Marvel movie. Um, or Transformers or something like that. And it doesn't always mean you're going to be a collector. Uh, a lot of companies are referring to this stage as kid-alt, and it can last into your 20s, where you still buy toys. You don't necessarily play with them imaginatively, but you're critical of them, and you consider things like points of articulation and all that stuff. And you want to hold on to that customer a bit longer, so you lose them younger, but you might get them back. And uh, I wonder how long that's going to last as everybody's spare rooms get filled. Well, and that's... I'm actually going through different kinds of heartbreak now because my my son just turned 11 mm-hmm. uh i think really one of the only reasons he still has any kind of investment in toys at all and he does still play uh he and his friends i think he's actually uh in this interesting spot where most of his friends don't really have toys anymore so when they come over here the bins get dumped out and they all play uh, yeah, in elementary school for me, I think it was in the uh, fourth grade, everybody just walked away from toys, but I was still going around buying their old toys. So it was, uh, you, people are ready to move on pretty early. I think even in the third grade, most people were over it. I mean, it wasn't cool to talk about um, Dino Riders or Air Raiders or Battle Beasts or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but there's a, th- and, and the, uh, like you said, they want screens now, but because of my collecting habit i I think he's still sort of invested in it but imagine x got left behind a couple years ago which broke my heart because being able to buy all those awesome bat caves and that that's the only place you get play sets now pretty much yeah i mean and some of the tributes to figures in there are uh, it it goes to show that it doesn't really matter as long as something's cool enough because there was the x-ray man from adventure people they put out a battle beast snake guy in there a couple months ago they put out a two-pack of muscle men i mean these couldn't be a more collector-friendly 80s uh, toy fan line, but most people don't know about them, and Series 11 is really hard to get. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the thing is is the, with all the blind bags, and, and granted, I do appreciate how easy they make it to figure out mm. what you're buying with the blind yes. bags. <laughs> yes, I bought a lot of them that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got uh, all, when, when they did their uh, Universal Monsters, I guess, tributes, you'd say, uh, that was where, where me and my wife kind of started getting into, well, wait a minute. We want to get these for him, but maybe these would be neat to have in a cabinet upstairs too. <laughs> so we've, yeah. we've got our own little Imaginex set. But uh, 
without getting too sidetracked, uh, Jurassic, <laughs> yeah, Jurassic Park line has blown my mind this year. Mattel has really uh, done one of the best things that they've done in years. I mean, in my adult life, really, with this line, it's just surprised me so much. The quality of the figures, the quality of the dinosaurs, uh, and how quickly they've gotten out so much product because i feel like that doesn't happen with a lot of movie based lines anymore and there's so much more coming that you don't know about yet oh my uh, gosh that's wild and there's some stuff that they didn't even get out because of uh, budget concerns but uh it's interesting and it kind of goes to prove one of the things i keep writing about that people get mad at me about uh collectors are the worst and you need to ignore us uh, you make a line <laughs> for kids you're going to make more money and you're going to get more variety uh, when Star Wars was relaunched in the 90s, they knew collectors would be interested, but it was a kid line. And they managed to get, you know, three really good years with Shadows of the Empire and a theatrical re-release of a 20-year-old movie. Uh, and that's incredible. And VHS tapes, just kids watching tapes all day. That's amazing. Uh, with Jurassic, it's the same kind of thing. You have a line. It's marketed to kids. Yeah, there's stuff collectors might like, but on the whole, it, the reason Mattel is constantly selling out and chasing all of these things, and it is very difficult to restock Jurassic right now, uh, is because everyone in America wants a bazillion dinosaur toys. Yes. And you're going to do a lot better that way. When you start jumping around and there's a less consistent message and the characters don't necessarily play together, you're going to have some problems, and that's kind of where Star Wars is today. With dinosaurs, kids don't necessarily care which ones were Cretaceous or Jurassic or Triassic, or even if they were in the movies or not. It was just like, okay, big guy with big teeth eats a little guy. Yeah. And it works, and it just keeps working. And if they keep making more human figures, the collectors are never going to go away. And uh, when you have a couple of oddities like the Spinosaurus, uh, you're going to keep people on the hook and interested for a very long time. Yeah, I I would say I, a friend and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, I I right now give this line at least two more years before they have to start making goofy colored uh, dinosaurs to to maintain interest. I hope they still do. I mean, I have most of the Chaos Effect ones. Oh, I love that. That's, college. They're that's, great. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about too. Is I, I yeah, love yeah. I love that. Well, and and also uh, my you know my hope for Jurassic World as as loony as it was was that uh, B D Wong's character would end up making like cyborg warrior dinosaurs because I mean, how many times can we really go to the island of secluded dinosaur danger? We have to evolve this plot. And crazy, yeah. ro- to me, crazy robot dinosaurs is the way to go. I would totally be down for that. I mean, it looks like now we're probably going to see uh, some sort of Planet of the Apes-style evolution. And I'm okay with that, too. I mean, the last movie was an interesting piece of entertainment, uh, but it keeps people excited and talking, and it sells dinosaur toys, and that's a large part of what I care about. So yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, with jurassic park doing so very well taking up uh, a very large amount of every toy aisle that it's in which is interesting to me also uh we have star wars we come back Mm -hmm. around to star wars because that's what we do here uh i my personal collecting has has hit a point where i'm not sure what i'm doing uh, I can't see a day where I just won't buy Star Wars toys, but we now have a three and three quarter inch basic line that that to me, and, and I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. To me, that three and three quarter inch line with the generally five to seven points of articulation right now. Uh, well, I guess that's not even correct though. They tend to have a little bit more than that though, don't they? 
it varies figure to figure. They're sneaking in a lot of stuff when it becomes uh, conducive to reducing the costs. Like you'll see pilots that have articulated ankles at the boot because if they make the boot from a separate tool, they don't have to do any black paint. They can just plug it in there and it's fine. And that's why a lot of figures have articulated wrists and articulated shoulders. Uh, if it makes sense to separate the figure there because you save a couple of pennies, you do it. And and that's interesting because I, I just got uh, Target has an exclusive pack right now of, uh, I guess it's Membin from Solo. Yeah. Uh, fantastic pack. And then there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, swiveling wrists in that pack. Uh, lots of paint. I, I was shocked at the amount of paint on these figures. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at them right now. Uh, so... But that, to me, is the main line. Is that Would you say that's accurate? It's accurate to you. <laughs> well, so from Hasbro's perspective, are they really trying to juggle all these lines with, with equal importance to retail? Uh, lightsabers are where the money is. Okay, okay. So, so the role-play stuff is, is their bread and butter right now i mean ultimately you need to appeal to kids and their messaging on figures have been inconsistent uh the black series line is doing very well um very well but it's not like when we were doing three and three quarter inch and you can get a themed wave as to my knowledge unless you count a new movie launch hasbro has never done a black series themed wave and that's kind of disappointing because it's really fun when you get like yoda and dagobah luke and dagobah r2d2 all on the same day and you can set them up on your desk and you feel like a million bucks now it's like, okay, we're going to give you Bubba Fett, and we're going to wait two years till we give you IG-88. And it's just like, what? Yeah. It's, uh, it's not a lot of fun. I understand it from keeping collectors on the hook because they're thinking about the long-term engagement, and that's a smart thing to do. But, you know, there's a lot of collectors who look at a line, and if they can't get Darth Vader or Bubba Fett, they just look at you like, I'm not going to buy this. Who do I care? Who's Finn? I don't know who Finn is. Mm. And um, you need to have something where people can immediately look at a figure and go, okay, that's what I want. And one of the dangers is, and we saw this with Star Trek, as the universe expands, uh, people get splintered. Uh, the prequels were the first example of that because there were people who said, okay, I'm only going to buy original trilogy stuff now. And then there were people when Disney bought it said, okay, I'm only going to buy LucasArts stuff or I'm not going to buy any of the TV stuff or I'm not going to buy um, anybody from post-Return of the Jedi. They just set arbitrary lines in the sand because they want Rogue One stuff. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at now because we can't make anybody happy because we've gone from having three movies to six movies to what are we at now 10 um i think we're at 10. <laughs> well i think we're let's see six numbered movies from the lucas era two ewok telefilms and four disney movies plus the clone wars theatrical feature it's a lot and uh if you only release 20 to 40 figures a year that means you can only make one to two figures per movie if you spread it out evenly and they don't and they don't necessarily make them from the same scenes i mean hasbro has confirmed and i can say this that with a sail barge coming next year, there will be an increased emphasis on figures to go into the sail barge, which is good. Yeah, that's great news because I, I, I did, uh, I jumped in on that when I had to. I might have been the first person to buy it because I was in the uh, Hasbro Toy Fair uh, panel for it, and they go, "Okay, we have a new thing coming up from Haslab," and everyone was just watching with their jaws open, and I'm like, "Okay, what's the URL for this? I want to be the first <laughs> to buy it." It's like Haslab.com. No, okay, okay, it's got to be Haslab.com/slash/Haslab. <laughs> Or Haslab that Hasbro. I'm like, oh, I got it. And it said zero supporters. I'm like, well, I'll be number one. So I <laughs> bought mine when it said zero supporters. I can't get them to officially tell me that it is, in fact, true. And they told me that they will not tell me that sure. I am number one. Sure, sure. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to assume that I am. Yeah. And uh, because I bought it before you even announced the URL or that it was on sale right now. So 
you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, I'm the first person to support it. But uh, I digress. Uh, what's important right now is uh, Black Series is making a lot more money for them because they cost a little bit more. They're top-tier characters that people are excited to buy for the first time still. I mean, sure. they waited a couple of years to put out Darth Vader, and it did really well. Um, they still haven't made a lot of Empire Strikes Back stuff. I think I can count the number of prequel figures on two hands. Uh, gosh, we've got one Jabba's palace alien other than Jabba himself, and we have a Gamorrean guard, and that's pretty much it. It's It's fascinating to me how retailer exclusives... And, and I'm sure over the probably next year or so after Toys R Us uh, going under, it's going to be interesting to watch where exclusives go. But to walk into one Target and see piles of Gamorrean guards and uh, Moloch, Moloch, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, see piles of them. And then to go into another Target and see not even a spot for them. It, it really is interesting. Target size classes really do vary widely. And also do the uh, customers. I mean, I... Growing up in Phoenix, there's lots of different regions. And if you go out west, it's a little bit older. If you go out west and south, it's a lot older. And in certain areas, you'll see turnover of certain characters. And like by uh, the Arrowhead Mall, we had this one Toys R Us where Django Fett pilot figures would not sell. You would see pegs of 30 Django Fett pilot figures and nothing else. And they wouldn't already order because they've got 30 Collection 1 or Collection 2 figures sitting there. It's like, well, we have enough. We don't need any more. Um, and Target's kind of the same way today. If there's some neighborhoods who just don't want certain things. And there's some places you go and you're like, okay, Jurassic sells a little better here. Other places you go, it's like, okay, Star Wars sells a little better here. I don't know the rhyme or reason behind it, but uh, it certainly doesn't help the distribution perception. And when you have a lot of fans who don't have the time to go to more than one or two stores per week, they think that the item has never hit their city or state, when the reality is it has, you missed it, because you're not a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the last time... There was a retailer exclusive that I really felt like did not make it here, that I never saw a trace of in the metro Atlanta area, uh, was the Walmart exclusive uh, Job of the Hut in the three and three quarter inch line. Oh, that was a 2010 one? Uh, let's see. About blue and black packaging? Eight years ago. That's probably about right. Yeah. And we ended up going on a trip to Walt Disney World. And because I am a bit of a crazy person, went to a Walmart like five miles <laughs> five miles away. And the only reason we ended up going is because it's the one time we did not stay on the Disney property. Uh, we were staying with my wife's parents in a condo that was off the property. So it didn't feel like violating the magic to go travel somewhere. Yeah. We went to a Walmart on the off chance that they would have this, this Jabba. And sure enough, they had at least a dozen of them. Yeah, here I found it uh, behind a Nerf gun. Somebody tried to hide it, and I found it. So it, good luck, it, buddy. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's very interesting to see that distribution. But but as far as uh, Star Wars currently goes, it's difficult for me to look at the three lines. I, I can't. It used to be very easy to say I'm sticking with this one style. This is all I'm buying because I know that eventually. Even if the character comes in a different scale, eventually I will see it in the scale that I'm collecting. Now, I don't feel that way anymore, especially with my preferred... Because the, the super articulated three and three quarter inch figures are... That's that's what I have on 12 feet of shelves behind me going from floor to ceiling. Mm -hmm. That's my collection. I love that stuff. 
And those are still coming. You're going to get more of those next year. And and see, that's great to hear. I love to hear that. But this this more basic line, I guess, kid oriented line. Uh, the, the we're getting some amazing sculpts. We're getting some great looking paint. Uh, I actually have, in in my opinion, the head sculpt on the Han from Solo that I've got in that line is better than the Vintage Collection one that I just bought. Uh, or at least the head looks better. I, I say sculpt. What I mean is it, it it's not that it necessarily looks more like Aiden Ehrenreich. Mm-hmm. It's just that, to me, it's a better-looking head. But I'm finding that these more basic figures look fantastic and certainly as someone who opens them fiddles around with them a little bit and then puts them on the shelf uh they look great yeah i mean i i wish this line goes on forever uh because they do a lot of really great stuff and cost matters uh and that's one thing i think collectors do lose sight of is when you're buying one or two figures what's the difference between eight dollars and thirteen dollars when you buy one or two thousand figures there's a difference yes and uh i would rather them be a little bit cheaper unless there's like a figure vehicle compatibility issue after the solo falcon the figure compatibility was kind of sad so i don't really give that much worry to vehicle compatibility when it comes to that kind of stuff but they did a really good job with the uh, new walker the new tie fighter is a beautiful toy and uh yeah there's been a lot of really great stuff but getting everybody on the same page is difficult because when they split three and a quarter inch to uh, super articulated and uh, less than super articulated, a lot of people just threw up their arms and said, I'm never going to touch this again. Yeah. And uh, that has consequences. And, and I understand that feeling. I absolutely do. And and that's kind of where I've gotten to is, is looking at the super articulated figures that are 13 bucks a pop now, uh, depending on, you know where you find them or what's going on, but that twelve ninety nine seems to be the the price point that I'm seeing at, at brick and mortar retail uh, versus around eight bucks, I guess. And and thank goodness uh, you you and I have the the same I, I pet peeves in two areas. One, I hate little accessories that have no relevance to the movie mm-hmm. that get thrown into the packaging. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to pay for that, and uh, that's no. yeah, and that's one thing I thought was kind of happy at first, and then Force Link just didn't quite get communicated well, and frankly, the technology is the most magical thing I've ever seen with uh, a very awkward user interface. But we're paying for that on every figure, and no one bought the the Force Link readers that are available now. Um, but we're all paying for the sound chip in every figure. Yeah, that and that's crazy to me. That that. I, I feel like there's got to be a better way to have done that because as a, I still very clearly remember how I felt about toys when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, looking at the Force Link reader, it's not interesting in any way. Uh, making the figures talk was something that I did. Yeah. And to me, I'm not giving up you know, when you're in the toy aisle, the trade-off is do I want a Force force Link reader or do I want Han's cool speeder? Yeah, that thing's expensive. They're right around the same price point. Yeah. And I'm going with the speeder. The speeder's a much better experience, and just because of execution, I mean, Force Link, for those of you who don't follow this, uh, had a Bluetooth update via app. And the problem is the update was really hard to install, and on top of that... 
a lot of the figures uh, in the firmware, they still don't have final voices. So it says firmware update required on, I'd say, about 20% of the figures at least. Oh, gosh. Uh, still, so they don't even work yet. And it's just, it could have been so much better. And when I saw Force Link as a concept, I was really kind of annoyed they limited it to three and a quarter inch because a little RFID chip isn't that expensive. You could put that in literally every toy Hasbro makes, and Force Link could be something implemented in uh, Nerf, Baby Alive, Transformers, Black Series, you name it. Oh, wow. Every figure you had could talk. This, they had no thoughts on this. This is what I was just barking at them about because I'm crazy. But <laughs> uh, the Force Link reader should have been something that makes Hasbro toys a Hasbro toy because, and this is not the perspective anyone seems to be considering it from. I don't mean Hasbro. I mean fans, too. Sure. What made it brilliant was it could even power lights on your vehicles, like without batteries in the vehicle. I mean, that's absolutely magic. Well, that blew and, my mind on... Uh... Oh gosh, what was the? I'm trying to remember which vehicle it was because it was a it was uh, it was the, the original. Uh, yes, uh, yes, yeah. yes. But what's really amazing about all that is, uh, well, also you can use it with any RFID uh, reader; it'll still power it. But you put two batteries in or three batteries into the Force Link, and that's it. You don't have to worry about battery corrosion in any of your toys ever again. And as somebody who has a lot of toys and a lot of batteries, yeah. that is a fear of mine. Yeah, yeah. So being able to say power every Hasbro toy ever with only two to three batteries. That is the best, most brilliant thing ever. The only exception would be if it's a Nerf gun with a motor, because you can't wirelessly transmit enough electricity, I don't think, to spin the motors. But for sound and for lights, it works. Um, it, it, they were thinking big and thinking small at the same time, and it could have been so much more. And they're not going to continue it. So if you hate it, congratulations, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> but if you it, congratulations, it's gone. But what new? gimmick is around the corner is the I, the problem i don't think you have to worry about that <laughs> okay that's good news yeah uh so currently though i i it's it's very strange because i am and i'm not getting the things that i want from star wars toys because like i said i look at these and and they look great i'm very happy with them uh the super articulated stuff honestly if more interesting great vintage collection is around the corner, I'm excited. But at the same mm-hmm. time, if I never saw another one, I don't know that I'd be that upset about it. I'm kind of in the same position, except for the fact that my job depends on you being interested in Star Wars. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I'm very hopeful that things are still exciting for people. I don't know that I need to get more figures. I've been setting up stuff on these IKEA shelves, and I've got a lot of figures to set up still. And uh, it takes a lot of time. So if they stop making them, uh, I'm going to sleep a little easier on the weekends. I don't know that there's a lot left that I have to have. I mean, the sail barge is a great thing to see. Uh, I would love a Death Star or a Star Destroyer, some sort of big Imperial thing to put a bunch of my troopers on. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the stuff I want at this point, it's you alluded to earlier, I really just want everything in three and two quarter inch so I can put it to bed. There's a few clones we never got. There's like a Chewbacca variant from Revenge of the Sith that we got in Galactic Heroes, but not in uh, the traditional format. There's some sideshow 12-inch figures they haven't done in 3 and 2 quarter inch yet. Uh, and of course, there's the Tanika sister from Action Fleet in 97. We will probably never get in 3 and 2 quarter inch at this rate. So I'm not too hopeful that there's ever going to be... Uh, and this is something I've talked about a lot with people involved in the brand. Um, I want there to be a definitive scale. Either make it pick a format, make everything in it. And to me, that scales three and quarter inch just because six inch can never catch up. It just can't. There's too much stuff. Um, I don't think it's going to happen though. I think we're just going to have to deal with. Uh, they make stuff in whatever size they feel like, and 
I, I think the completeness is kind of gone. Well, and and also for me, six inch, and 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 this is uh, when I sent my first email to you. This is one of the things I mentioned. Uh, six inch looks amazing. I just picked up that four lom, and yeah. he's beautiful. the The paint is incredible. the 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 fine detail and the sculpt is just he, he's he's a wonderful figure. The, his little elbow hinges blew my or not the hinges the wires. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, the way that those slide up and down his forearms. I mean, just just wonderful toy engineering there. So I, I adore the six inch, but it'll never be my Star Wars home because vehicle wise it, it won't happen and I have to have my vehicles. And I'm not uh I, I didn't buy any I haven't bought any of the uh six inch scale vehicles except for when I found the uh, land speeder at Walmart for 12 bucks. Yeah, that's pretty much all of them at this point are getting down to about that. Uh, in the industry, again, this is a thing that we, all of us toy people like to argue about, but it definitely seems that collectors look at a certain price point and they balk at anything above that, and that's usually around 30 bucks with a couple of exceptions. Um, it's too bad. I mean, I think there should be more low-cost items just because you don't want people to think about spending money you just want them to spend the money and at sixty dollars you could probably gamble correctly that there's going to be a 10 percent off sale pretty soon and five bucks off is nothing to sneeze at oh well i think my big and, and i'm very aware of this uh but collectors around our age went through these golden years of paying you know 20 bucks for a really beautiful well done uh relatively scale accurate vehicle Mm-hmm. And now the exact same vehicle would probably be like fifty bucks. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the rise of the middle class. That is one of the two answers I'm, I've always been told are good for any question in school. The other being iambic pentameter. Um, <laughs> but you you kind of get at this point where, like, when the Millennium Falcon came out again, uh, there was a two thousand eight really cool Millennium Falcon, like the best Millennium Falcon ever, and it was one hundred twenty or one hundred eighty. I can't remember which. But uh, when it came out again at Toys R Us in 2000, I want to say 10 or 11, it was $250. Yeah. And that's because it really boils down to uh, rising material costs and people in China want cars now. And that's a reasonable thing. And um, we're seeing that across the board. Any vehicle reissue is going to be dramatically more expensive. Like when they released the ATST during Rogue One in the Black Series, that was a $30 vehicle, and now it's a $60 vehicle. Yeah. And now because it didn't sell, it's a lot less than $60. Uh, and the market usually finds a way of beating the price down to where it needs to go one way or another. Um, hopefully you don't miss your figures in the process. You might. But it's unfortunate uh, because how do you get the stuff down to a price where no one's going to bulk and they're just going to buy stuff? But how do you also give the articulation and features that uh, collectors want? And I think eventually you need to give up. <laughs> Some yeah. Of that stuff. Yeah, you're not I mean you're not wrong. And that's that's the thing. I, I actually will get every once in a while I'll get collector guilt. Uh like right now, uh the new hover tank that's out, the vintage collection yeah. hover tank, uh mm-hmm. looks beautiful. And I'm sitting here looking at it at seventy bucks and I'm just like uh... Yeah, when they told us the price I left. It was uh <laughs> I just said, people are going to look at this. It's too small. It's the size of a laptop computer, and it's $80. Like, it is the most beautiful thing you'll ever see until the sail barge comes out, I'm sure. Yeah, right. But the paint on it is astonishing, the amount of little moving parts that they uh, glued in there, all the little greeblies, the sculpted detail, the moving uh, control stuff. 
there will never be a better Star Wars vehicle at retail, I'm convinced. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But the problem with that is you've got to pay for it. And uh, there are bigger, more expensive things that didn't make the cut because of louder laughing. Uh, but you know, people aren't willing to necessarily pay a fair market price for something. Um, and like, would people be as excited about it if it was molded with all the dirt and damage and grit? Maybe. Um, if I were them, I would do whatever I could to shave 10 or 20 bucks off of it, but they have better market research than I do, and they understand their customers better than I do. I just know that I see this, and it's the best thing I've ever seen, and I don't blame people waiting to buy it, especially since Target, like, apparently most of the Targets, the first week or two, they got it, marked it down to 40 bucks. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even know that. Very targets got them, and a lot of these things go straight to clearance yeah. when that happens. Like, the ATACT was the same thing. It was 25 30% off when it showed up in Target in December 2016, and I'm looking at this like, well, how are we supposed to sell this if, right. uh, you know, they're going to blow it out, like, very close to cost? Um, it makes it hard. Those, uh, yeah, those fast blow. I, I hate it. It's it's funny. I actually do hate it when I see those those really quick reductions because I know that the even if it's incrementally, it's reducing the chances I'm going to see that type of toy again. Yeah, yeah, and uh, with the ATACT, I think most collectors were happy to not see it again, but it's one of those things where uh, collectors in Hasbro with conventions and stuff, we, we talk at each other, but we don't always hear each other. Yeah. Uh, Vintage is one of the greatest examples, because when I'm hanging around the Hasbro booth looking at stuff and taking pictures, I hear people go, oh, I'm so glad to see this. We will buy literally anything you make from any one of the Star Wars movies on a Vintage packaging. And I'm sitting there going, like, whoa, 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 you don't mean that. What you mean is you'll buy any original trilogy figure on Vintage packaging. You're not thinking that there are new movies coming out that they'll put on here right or, now. Or you'll buy any figure that we didn't buy at Walmart three months ago for $3. Right, right. I mean, but Hasbro <laughs> heard what they said and took it to heart. Uh, but you know, we are not always the best at communicating, yeah. and uh, that is what can happen. And I'm sure part of that is just they. It was probably in the plan from the beginning to start with the tooling at uh, Walmart and then put it out again somewhere else. But uh, you know, you're not wrong. And now the stuff's showing up at Ross for three bucks in the Black Series packaging too, and that's hard to compete with. I'll uh, before we get to our final topic to wrap things up. Uh, one thing I want to throw out there, uh, the to me in my personal collection, uh, the biggest hole that I'm, I'm I've got and I'll probably always have is the rest. Well, it's not a hole because they never produced the rest of them. Uh, the rest of the Red Squadron X Wings. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it kills me. I, I look up and I see three of them, and <laughs> it kills me that we're not going to see the rest of those. It, it does and it doesn't to me. I know uh, one of my buddies, um, Scott from uh, Scott like used to be at Mattel and uh, oh yeah yeah he's been around. He collects all the X Wing pilots and he's like, that's the thing he wants is like just finish the pilots. They're so close and just like I don't think they're gonna do it. But uh, that that's where we're at. The X Wings. I can't imagine we'll ever see anybody more obscure than who we've already got. Uh, if anything, I would be astonished if we didn't get Red Five again at some point. But it's yeah. not going to be cheap. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine what these would go for now. I mean, they're they're gorgeous, but they're huge. Yeah, one of the worst things is that the competition for reissues of Star Wars toys is the old Star Wars toys because so many of us kept these things mint in the box, and there's enough people usually willing to sell them that even with inflation, like with the Episode One 3D reissue a few years ago, you could buy uh, the Pod Racers with a pilot figure for less than Walmart was selling new ones to you for, and with X Wings, I don't even want to begin to speculate. <laughs> and that um but space is an issue too and uh only a few of us buy everything and even fewer of us have everything out 
So just the considerations of where does the toy live? How does it exist with other toys? Um, yeah, they had a couple of really good years there where there were 250, 350 figures a year, and that should not have happened. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was wonderful, and yet it was uh, terrible at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they thought it was almost over because, like, yeah. I can't imagine anybody when Revenge of the Sith came out said, "Oh, this is still going to be around after 2008." No, Ewoks no. killed. No, Ewoks didn't kill it, but Ewoks marked the end of Kenner's involvement with Star Wars. And um, after Return of the Jedi, it was like, okay, there's no new movies. We're gonna, you know, when you have a successful, long-lasting license, you age it down a little bit because to the only people. You can sell it as new are people who aren't familiar with it or haven't been around for a long time. So you sell the Star Wars Junior line to them, and when they get old enough to, it's no longer new to them, you move on. Um, and Star Wars just kept going, which was amazing. I, it's funny, real quick, you, you mentioned Scott Knightlick, and I've got I've to tie that into my collector guilt because as someone who collected the Masters of the Universe Classics line, mm-hmm. oh man, did I feel bad for that guy at times. He, yeah, boy, I, there are so many things I'd like to say involving people who are and aren't him. Um, there is no more discriminating fan than Masters. They know exactly what they want, and they will let you know if it is not exactly what they want. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's good that they have that attention to detail, but it's kind of like where Star Wars was in 95, to bring it back to that, when there were these little variations in the packaging, like a, a comma is misplaced. Uh, the warning label is printed versus a sticker. Uh, the lightsabers got bigger and smaller. When you only get one or two figures a month, you have a lot of time to pay attention to every last detail. Gosh, you're and right. when you drip feed people stuff like this, you're going to analyze the crap out of everything you buy. And Masters fans uh, don't have that much. So I don't blame them at all for being this uh, on edge about everything being right. And when the factory screws up, when it's on the boat, you can't do anything about it. And once you've paid the factory, sometimes they'll just fold their arms and be like, well, that's what it is. Um and that's what it is. Well, and I think that was a lot of, you know, looking at it at the time, that was a lot of my feeling was like, there's so much of this stuff that's that's just beyond this one man who gave us this incredible line. There's so much stuff beyond his control that you guys are just losing your minds about. But, uh, but he, he did his best. And, you know, as a fan, you have a right to your feelings. You have a right to your emotions and your opinions. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can get a figure that's perfectly good, uh, top to bottom, nothing wrong with it. But it's a character I find boring. So, you know, it's like, am I going to necessarily be putting up the pom-poms and starting a cheer? No. <laughs> yeah, it's the, yeah. It's the best it could be, but I don't have to love it. And uh, in some cases... Like I never had a problem with his stinker arms at all. I didn't no, even notice till someone would, pointed it out. <laughs> dude, so much of that stuff was I wouldn't even know this if I hadn't seen it online. I wouldn't even have yeah. realized that the, this was this thing. Yes, and stinker arms, perfect example. Yeah, I mean, when things start decaying, okay, then you got problems. I haven't had a problem with any of my figures other than uh, Leech's net, uh, but everything else has been perfectly fine. I also take pretty good care of this stuff and because you live in a dry desert here uh it's going to be a little safer a little bit longer but uh everything's going to decay eventually everything's going to go wrong eventually it might be five years it might be 20 years like i'm already seeing sticky residue on some of the uh, 2011 outer spacemen uh, and that's a lot sooner than i expected yeah um and there's nothing we can do about that some of your troopers are going to turn yellow just because of the plastic regardless of how much light they're exposed to some of your packaging is going to turn yellow and the glue is going to dry up and the bubble is going to fall off just because that's time um so yeah there might be an imperfection on your figure today but you know rest assured we'll all be dead soon so you don't need to worry about it for too long 
Well, we've only got a few minutes left. I know you've got a uh, time limit here. Yes. So, uh, two things. One, uh, when we wrap up, I want to be sure you put over your sites where we can find you online, and of course your Patreon. Sure. And uh, but but real quick, we got to talk about the micro collection. Yeah. I I when I was a kid, I had a couple of pieces. Uh, I remember, and I hope I'm remembering this correctly, the extremely exciting commercial where Luke got thrown out of the window uh, of the little Bespin fight area. I don't even remember the commercials, uh, to be honest with you. As a kid, I had the Hoth ones, and I, I love those. It is, uh, I, there. there is, I believe, a commercial for the micro-collection Bespin world that very excitingly has these little diecast figures fighting and then luke goes whoop, flying out the window uh, yeah i'm sure you can look it up online uh, i just looked it up on youtube it's up there yeah oh, excellent excellent <laughs> uh but i dug the micro collection but it wasn't uh to my parents it was a different toy line and thus i i never i never was able to get into it as into it as i wanted what is your fascination with them uh, as a kid, I only had the Hoth ones, and I wanted the rest of them because they weren't very big. And that's one of the reasons I started going around to all these antique shows and toy shows was to get the rest of them. And it took me quite a while until I met somebody who had any for sale. Um, I still don't have a complete Millennium Falcon after all these years, but I got pretty much everything else. I liked them because they were small. They were relatively cheap. Uh, it was really the only viable way to get some of these bigger areas as play sets. Um, with the Hoth set in particular, you got... Everything. You got the generator, the ATST, the ion cannons, and giant novelty supercomputers. Uh, you got the Wampa Cave, which is something I'm trying to get people to make a new one of for three and three quarter inch figures, and I can't seem to get anybody to do. Because uh, it's like, make a Yeti Cave. And they're like, well, we can't get the Star Wars license. I'm like, great, call it the Sasquatch Cave. I don't care. <laughs> call it whatever you want. Leave out the Tauntaun bones. Put some foot pegs in the ceiling, and I'm going to be very happy. Yeah. You're going to sell a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah. But it's not happening. But yeah, I like them because they're small. They connect together. It's a purchase that uh, by buying one, those little hooks in there tell you you have to go out and buy another one, which yeah. is probably horrifying parents. But as a child, it's nice because it says, okay, there's more to go. And this can keep going. Um, and they didn't make that many of these things. And they made them of some of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, yeah, I definitely have had conversations about trying to convince uh, a macro collection to happen, but that never came to pass. I think they're the best because it's a little collection you can put on a shelf, display it, and feel good about it. And we don't get a lot of that because nothing ever ends anymore. Like the Black Series started small, but now it's 150, 200 figures. Um, the three and a quarter inch line, I have more astromech droids than there were original vintage figures. It is <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, you you have to specialize now, and none of us really do a good job at it. Like, no. I'm envious of the people who are smart enough to say, I'm only going to buy Jawas, or I'm only going to buy Tusken Raiders, and I'm not going to buy anything else, because they're probably a lot happier, and they have a lot more room. Yeah, I've 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 got a couple of friends who are very very disciplined in their toy collecting, and I'm very jealous of them. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that. I mean, I just got the. Well, they're launching tonight. Uh, I don't think this is officially announced anywhere yet. So if you get this up really soon, you'll have a scoop. Uh, the Transformers War for Cybertron Siege toys street date was moved to tonight, so they're going to be going up uh, at midnight. Oh my gosh! Thing. Oh. I got mine early because I ordered them from Vietnam, and because I can, as somebody in the business, <laughs> sure. just send me my case now. So I've been playing with them. They're spectacular. But, you know, it's another Optimus Prime, and I've got, like, a dozen classic Optimus Primes now. Do I need a dozen classic Optimus Primes? No, but it makes me feel good, and I'll buy another one when they do another one in two years. And they're absolutely 
some of the most fun things I've played with in a while. And they're like a Marvel Legends figure, but a Transformer. Well, but I digress. A, a, yeah. uh, no, no, it's fine that you did because uh, a comic shop um, that uh, up in North Carolina, where my family is from, uh, just two days ago, I think, put up pictures. They were like, we cannot sell these yet, mm-hmm. but here are the pictures of the new Siege toys we have in stock. And uh, was it Hound, mm-hmm. I think, and Sideswipe? Yeah, Hound, Sideswipe, or the G1 Deluxe Autobots. Uh, Treadshot, no, not Treadshot. It's, uh, Skytread is the new version of Flywheels, a Duocon. And there's also Cog, which is one of uh, the buddies of... I can't remember if it was Metroplex or Fort Max off the top of my head because okay, I never had okay. the big ones as kids. But those are your first four deluxes, and there's an Optimus and a Megatron and the Voyager assortment, uh, three packs of MicroMasters, and three Battle Masters, which are like little Target Master guys. Well, the Hound and the Sideswipe in the packaging just looked gorgeous. and I was just, Oh, they will knock mm-hmm. you on your butt. You oh, need to order them tonight. They, uh, uh, that Sideswipe, the car mode is not really a great Lamborghini, but it's close enough to Hot Rod, where I assume we're going to get a Hot Rod from it. Okay, the robot okay. for Sideswipe, it's like a half a rung below the masterpiece. And the Hound, oh gosh, I gotta send you a picture of uh, New Hound versus the uh, Universe Hound. You will laugh. It is astonishing <laughs> how amazing the new one is. And I love these little blaster bolts you can put on them and make them look like they're getting shot and stuff. It's just, it's clearly a line for the older collector who's gonna put stuff on a shelf and display them. Yeah. The car modes are fun. The transformations are much less of a pain in the neck than they have been on some of the other lines. Uh, the detail is great. The fake battle damage is uh, either good or amusing at the very worst. <laughs> Everything about him is fun. And you can, like, tear apart Cog and make him into, like, shoes and guns for other figures in a backpack. It's just so much fun. Um, and that's one thing I miss from toys a lot is give me an excuse to interact with my toys. And Star yes. Wars, Black Series, and Marvel Legends in particular, um, there's very little room to innovate there because there's no action features. Uh, collectors generally don't stand for things like battlematic action or thunder punches or kung fu grips and what have you. But with Transformers, it's baked in there. Uh, and these have a little bit less of that, but at least you have that weird combining and uh, the upsell of the line that turns into a sword for your Optimus Prime or uh, Hot Rod's Target Master Buddy or uh, uh, Trigger Happy's uh, Target Master Buddy, too. I mean, this is the kind of thing that uh, every company struggles with is how to get you to buy more stuff. And with Siege, I think they really nailed it. Well, that's in reviewing toys and opening things. A lot of stuff lingers on my desk for a long time if it's got a good full factor, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Marvel Legends, you know, I love them, but they, they don't ever stick around here. Uh, NECA stuff does with all the multiple heads and accessories and all that kinds of business, and obviously Transformers, the rare times that I buy them. Uh, matter of fact, I've, I've got the reissue Hot Rod is sitting right in front of me right now. <laughs> Oh, cool. The one that just came out of Walmart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love awesome. it. I love it. I haven't bought it yet because I still got my Target Master one from when I was a little kid when they were on clearance at Lionel Playworld because nobody wanted to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I miss Lionel Playworld. Well, Adam, I know we got to wrap it up. It's been an awesome conversation. We've ranged all over the place. But before we go, where can we find you online? What are we up to? And please do uh, tell us about your Patreon. Oh, boy. Well, let's start at the Patreon. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash galactichunter, which I use to pay the hosting fees for Galactic Hunter and 16-bit. Galactic Hunter was founded by somebody else as a Star Wars website. Uh, basically, the other one gentleman who worked on it uh, passed away a couple of years ago. The other one uh, handed it over to me completely because he didn't want to work on it anymore. And that's where 16bit.com is hosted as well, and that is where I post whatever I darn well feel like. You can also find my Outer Space Men news blog, the Glios uh, News Dump. I do the Entertainment Earth podcast. I work at Entertainment Earth, and that's one of my duties there. Um, I'm probably forgetting some stuff, but I review 
almost any kind of toy I can get my hands on. I cut it back a little bit this year because eventually I needed to actually have time to play with the toys. Um, but yeah, Playmobil, Star Wars, Outer Spaceman, Glios, uh, Adventure People. Uh, I'm fond of the new Lost Kitties from Hasbro. Those are really kind of cool. Little collectible figures and stuff like that. Um, you name it, I'm interested in taking a look at it. Awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the Needless Things podcast. Uh, I'd love to have you back on sometime because I feel like we've got a few more hours of talk we could have about toys. I apologize in advance to your listeners. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. See you soon. As much as I enjoyed that conversation, what I'm really excited about is the potential for future conversations about specific aspects of the Star Wars toy line over the years. Like, I really would enjoy doing a full, or maybe like a mini-cast, about various segments of the toy line, like best features, best vehicles, that sort of thing, and, and really get into some good Star Wars toy talk. But we'll see. We'll see. After the beginning of the year, uh, I will uh, contact Adam again and see what kind of stuff he's up for. And hopefully you guys... Well, I, I know hopefully about it. I know you guys enjoyed that one because... If you're a constant listener of the Needless Things podcast, then you are in all likelihood a toy fan, or at the very least, a Star Wars fan interested in the history of the franchise. Uh, So, get out, do some Christmas stuff, do some holiday stuff, have a great end of your year, because let's wrap this year up. 2018 was what it was. Uh, there were some some absolute highs, and there were a few lows thrown in there. I'm sure everybody has a, a similar story. Um, you know, we all had varying quality throughout the year, but I think the best thing to do now is to look forward to 2019 as an opportunity to make ourselves better, to make our lives better, and uh, to do what we can to make other people's lives better as well. Uh, be kind, be gentle, uh, but be firm. Can you be gentle and firm? I think you can be. You can be gentle and firm at the same time, right? Uh, But regardless, you can always be kind, and you can always think about what you're going to say before you say it. Think about what you're going to post before you post it. Uh, You know, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk is a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, But anyway, we're going to be having fun here. Uh, Needless things, I've already got a few things lined up for 2019, uh, and there are a few other things that could happen or could not but either way i love you guys thank you for listening to the needless things podcast you're the best you can find the show on itunes stitcher downcast or in the ears of a trade of vix employee love you mean it Uh uh-huh